This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Wednesday. Hard to believe it's already September 9th, but that's where we are. If you've had a chance to check the markets today, you can see that the grains are rallying. Wheat up big today, corn and soybeans following. We're going to talk about that here in just a moment with Jacob Burks from agmarket.net. And in segment two, we're going to check in with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. It's the first Wednesday of the month, which means it's time for the monthly grind. We're going to talk about just how pork and corn are a great partnership. And in segment three, we're going to talk through some of the news that's developed out in Europe. We've continued to see that energy crisis intensify, and the government reactions to that could be shaping some policy and some prices for growers as we go through here in 2022. And at the end of the show, we're going to talk with Dr. Chad Hart of Iowa State University. On Sunday, we saw the Argentinian government do something interesting with how they pay soybean exporters. He's going to walk us through just what they did and what it means for the market longer term. Before we get to all of that, however, let's talk today's market rally right off the bat. Jacob Burks is joining us. Jacob was one of those folks that I was glad to be at the Farm Progress Show for. Not a man I had met before, but we bumped into one another. We started talking, had a great conversation, and I'm excited he's going to join us here today. Jacob, how are things looking up in Wisconsin? Uh, you know, we are in a very, very good spot as far as production goes. We have had some very good rains. Uh, we have a, a good-looking crop, and you're probably looking at some record yields around this area. I'm in the southwest corner here along the Mississippi River, and uh, I would have to say that right now we're in the garden spot. All right. Well, a lot of folks are looking at that, particularly in your geography. Jacob, I want to turn our focus to the wheat market this morning. Holy cow, it is on a rocket ship. What changed overnight here in the wheat trade? We had some major uh, news. Uh, it looks like around midnight uh, when the market changed over everywhere. Uh, he, Putin uh, came in in, in in a speech and, and decided that uh, he didn't like how this uh, this grain trade was going through through the Black Sea corridor and, and felt uh, as if he and uh, some of the poorer countries have been cheated in uh, in this and and that was uh, you know what triggered uh, the the reaction. I mean we have a, a reaction that's you know, almost equivalent in volume of uh, of what what happened uh, when the war first started. So you're seeing uh, you know a major uh, change in in what the expectations are. Uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, kind of surprising, uh, you know, in the face of a, a dollar that continues to make new highs as well. So right now we're up about 50 points uh, in the wheat market. We are. And Jacob, on that Putin comment last night, is the trade concerned that he's going to shut down that Ukrainian export business, that agreement they had he could terminate? Is that the worry? Well, I have to look into the details of what was actually said. But yes, there was a threat that he is not happy how it's going, and that's something that he was—he's considering a change in in, in what uh, what the agreement is. And and I think that was something that uh, whenever that was comment was made, that that's when the market really you know uh, changed what they what the expectations were as as far as uh, you know exports going through there. Which you know, and uh, some are even concerned a little bit. I've heard this morning with the quality of what's coming out as well. I think the major reaction that was off of what he said in the future uh, agreement that is already in place. Jacob, a 50, almost 50 cent move here in the Chicago wheat markets today. D does this get you want to go short wheat? Do you want to get some moved here on this move or do you want to wait and see how this plays out? Well, I think anytime you have knee-jerk reactions in a marketplace that, uh, you know, it, it doesn't make sense as much uh, to me right now at this point that I say, yes, you know, leaving marketing in place and, and why I'm encouraging guys right now to take advantage of these big moves. I think if you look out even into the new crop next year, wheat, uh, you know, we're still in a, in a carry market out there. I, I think this market is going to have to work to buy some of these acres in the future and look, taking advantage of some of these, these positions that we have right now, uh, the opportunity to sell into the July Chicago and the July and September of the KC may be a good opportunity. You know, anytime you have a knee-jerk reaction, uh, odds are it's a good opportunity to take advantage of. Volatility can create opportunity. Great point, Jacob. Looking over at the corn market, you mentioned there, southwestern Wisconsin, part of that garden spot here in the country. From agmarket.net's perspective, what are you folks anticipating here for corn yield this year? 
Uh, corn yield, we have uh, we put some numbers out there slightly below the 172, 171.8. I think is where we uh, published our number in in the corn market here this this week. You know, we have we have been listening and hearing a lot of talk about uh, you know decreased yields across you know most of the western part of the Corn Belt. Uh, we have a lot of feet on the ground out there in that area. Uh, and you know, we we do believe that that there's some major problems. It's hard to it's hard to look at just one single report going through. And the Pro Farmer Tour does a great job in the anticipation of uh, you know where they went was right in the middle of, of the drought air, drought stricken areas. And so the big question is, hey, what's it look like outside that area? And I think that you know some of these independent reports and all this information that's flowing and hitting the market right now, uh, you know, maybe a little bit higher from, than where they're at right now, uh, you know, at 168. So you know we're anticipating seeing anything, uh, you know, 172 area, uh, and a lot of it depends on how this, uh, you know, been talking specifically about the USDA report on Monday. You know, how does the USDA come in and strategically uh, get to to the lower levels? A lot of times they're slow to to act as far as putting. Uh, you know, lower numbers out there in big chunks. And so, you know, we anticipate seeing anything below the 172 level as a friendly number and anything above the 173 is probably a bearish number. All right, folks, be watching for that. Next, a supply and demand estimate from USDA comes out on Monday. And, Jacob, while we're thinking here in the soybean market uh, specifically, we've got a nice rally going on here in beans. China has been buying. We understood they were short-bought. We're not getting the export sales report from the USDA. Do you think we're adequately tracking all the beans that are moving over our shores? No. (laughs) First and simple, no. I don't think that we are. I don't think that it's... uh... Uh, something that's easy to track a lot of times without seeing these report on an individual basis. But, you know, there's a lot of games that's always being played and how much do they buy underneath that uh, reportable number and stuff as well. So to to not even have the uh, the larger purchases being, uh, you know, accumulated in, on a weekly basis, I think is, you know, does the, you know, the marketplace an injustice. Uh, but I, I think, you know, we've seen a large you know, decrease in what China's bought anyway. Uh, and that's maybe that comes from some of the lockdowns that we had. Their economy has not been you know, very well off. Lower hog numbers in China, you can make many different excuses. But first and foremost, they haven't been as aggressive buying as what we're used to. I think down 25% last month in just soybeans alone. So I think that that is something that we have to continue to watch is, you know, there's two sides of these fundamentals. It's not just yield and it's not just uh, uh, you know, demand alone. So you have to look at both of these, and and we're not seeing uh, the type of uh, you know, patronage that we that we're used to from from China. I, I think that uh, as we go as we go forward, when these export numbers continue to you know get back on 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 base, I think there could be a surprise to that market, and that's something that we'll have to keep our eyes on. All right. That will be interesting to watch seeing those soybean numbers. Finally, when that USDA report, I believe they've said, Jacob, next Thursday, we might start to get the export sales back. Is that your understanding? That is what uh, they said two weeks. Uh, and that would be that would put us the next Thursday seeing that. Uh, I think that the accumulation is, you know, we're still seeing the, the daily reports, the daily sales. I think we had one again today here. And I think that was something that, uh, you know, we'll have a pretty good idea. But, you know, I, I think that you could be in for a little bit of surprise. In for a little bit of surprise, folks, we've been talking to Jason Burks, head strategist there with agmarket.net. Jacob, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Take care. And folks, stick around. When we return, it's the monthly grind with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. We'll be talking the partnership between pork and corn when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Hi, I'm Brent Whitefoot, your Chief Agri-District Manager for Western Nebraska. I'll be at Husker Harvest Days, Lot 430, on September 13th through the 15th, talking with farmers and equipment dealers from all over the region about our customized product solutions designed to fit your operational needs. Our grain storage, handling, and conditioning products are designed to last and help you save time and money every step of the way. Have questions? Give me a call at 308-440-4737 or check us out at agra.chiefind.com. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. 
It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Today is the first Wednesday of the month, which means it's time to check in with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association for the monthly grind segment. We're going to learn a little bit what happens to that corn crop growing on farmers' fields all across this great nation as it moves towards that final destination. And this month, we're looking at pork. From the National Corn Growers Association, Bob Hemaseth Jones joins us. He's a farmer up in the northeast part of the state, raises hogs and corn. Bob, thanks so much for talking to us today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Great to be on with you. How are the crops looking up there in northeast Iowa? You know, we're looking we're looking in, we're looking pretty good. We've had uh, enough moisture and we're hoping just to finish it off uh, uh, with some good weather and get some good fill. Get that grain fill, get enough adequate nutrition out there to fulfill the needs for America's livestock herd. Joining us from the National Pork Board also is Dr. Chris Ta uh, Chris Hostetler, and Chris is the director of Animals. Oh, I'm sorry, Chris. Welcome to the show. Really appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, good, good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me. It's a great opportunity to um, share what we uh, commonly used as one of our uh, most popular feedstuffs in the swine industry about corn today. Absolutely. And let's dive right into it. Bob, you're on both sides of this equation as a corn grower and a pork producer. Could you talk a little bit how NCGA has helped pork producers understand the nutrient requirements of hogs a little bit better? Yeah, you know, uh, in, in partnership with the National Pork Board, we've uh, helped provide uh, some funds so that they can update the uh, National Academics Nutrient Requirements for Swine. So hopefully we can, uh, uh, with that, uh, utilize more DDGs and understand how to uh, utilize those better. Chris, when we think of hog nutrients, we've seen the feed industry change a lot throughout history. How has it changed in recent past, and why was this necessary? 
Yeah, certainly when, um, you know, the renewable fuel standard came on board in 2007, um, suddenly corn was used for other things that it hadn't traditionally been used for, at least in, in uh, not in such great quantity. Um, and so as a, as a product of that, um, uh, distiller's grains became available to us uh, as a feedstuff. Um, I would no longer classify uh, dis- dried distiller's grains or solubles, DDGS, as a, a non-traditional feedstuff for pig, uh, for pigs, um, you know, we commonly use it as part of our swine diets uh, today. Um, so if if uh, you know we formulate diets today, um, those are based largely on corn, dried distillers grains with solubles, and soybean meal. And um, so, so I think it's just a, been a great opportunity as as we've gotten. Um, you know, those, those co-products available to us to uh, figure out how to best utilize those and those co-products and how to include them in our, uh, in our swine diets. Absolutely. And it's that combination of co-products and ingredients that work together so well in this country to give us such an efficient hog uh, production system. And Bob, I'm curious, turning back to that combination, you need corn, you need soybean meal, you need all of these other industries. I understand that uh, National Pork Board and the United Soybean Board have worked together to build a framework of cooperation, and NCGA is a part of that. Why does that matter? Uh it matters because we're we're doing this to be to help with our sustainability efforts and uh, and get research that benefits both of uh, all three of our organizations because uh, and uh, and our products that we produce because uh, uh, we all work together on this and we're and corn and soybeans are staples of the diet for pork as Chris mentioned earlier. Indeed, they are. And sustainability is a concern for so many consumers out there. Chris, where do you see the advances in this sort of combination systems approach to looking at both sustainability and nutrients for hogs? Yeah, certainly uh, taking a systems approach um, will allow us to um, really identify the downstream impacts of our management decisions. So whether that's a from a, a field standpoint of a crop producer that's um, making management decisions about those crops that he's growing that would then in turn be fed to uh, pigs. Um, or if it's a, from a barn standpoint and, and uh, farmers who are pork producers that are um, making management decisions about how they raise those pigs, what uh, they feed them, how those nutrients are um, supplied to the animals, through our grains um, that are then passed into the manure. The manure is then used as a fertilizer uh, source back for the the, uh, crops that then produce grain again. And so there's this circular economy and understanding that from a systems approach will allow us to identify areas where those nutrients are transferred more or less efficiently. And, um, And once we understand that, we can really begin to dial in research on those, uh, practices that would allow us to um, maximize that efficiency of transfer of nutrients. It is pretty incredible what we can do when the different sectors of agriculture work together. Bob, I understand you serve on that nutrient cycle task force there. That's that combination between the National Pork Board, National Corn Growers Association. And can you tell us a little bit about what it is that drew you to participating in that? You're in the driftless region of Iowa. Are there additional concerns about what happens to nutrients on your operation? Oh, definitely. You know, and and this was an opportunity to to, uh, Chris had mentioned earlier the the circular part of this, and to me that was the 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 most interesting part. Is is you know we we use corn, we use soybean meal, we use DDGs and other nutrients to raise that hog, and in turn as a hog producer I use that fertilizer that manure as fertilizers for nutrients for the crop, and it's just that circular thing and how we can continue to improve that, how we can continue to utilize those nutrients for me in highly erodible soils more 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 sustainably and protect the environment as well so it's it's there's so many things that we can learn through this and i think that's where these partnerships and uh, combinations will uh, really benefit all of us moving forward especially the consumer as we continue to uh, improve what we do raising pork and corn and all the things that come with it 
Absolutely. And Chris, it strikes me that as we get a better handle on how that nutrient cycle works, what's available in this manure, we can unlock additional ways to add those nutrients back to our pork supply. From the animal mm -hmm. science perspective, they're your role at the National Pork Board. Where do you see this going in five or 10 years here in pork production? This sort of research, what are we going to be looking at down the line? Yeah, certainly it begins to um, put empirical numbers to our um, to our modeling. Um, so that's one of the things that we really need to um, do a better job of is um, when we do a life cycle assessment for carbon utilization, for example, um, there's a lot of assumptions that go into those computer models that, that then um, spit a number out for us. And um, at the end of the day, those assumptions are only as good as the data that we put in them, right? Those, those models are only as good as that that those assumptions that we make. And so being able to apply some, um, collect and then apply some real empirical numbers to to nutrients uh, being transferred around that system, I think that's, that is going to be a key to really being able to tell our sustainability story, whether that's from a, a row crop farmer or a pig farmer, um, being able to tell that sustainability story in a more complete, more concise, more um, accurate um, manner. So that's that's going to be an important part of this research. Indeed it is. And Chris, you said something there that I have heard from a lot of folks who work in this space, which is that we've got all sorts of great research, but we have a hard mm -hmm. time getting it through to people. Can you talk about the partnerships and how NPB working with NCGA can help give a megaphone to these issues when you're when you're working in Washington, D.C. or at state houses around the country? Yeah, certainly that, that memorandum of understanding that we have uh, that's been set up between uh, National Pork Board, uh, uh, National Corn Growers, and the United Soybean Board, that, that memorandum of understanding is about communication, right? Um, working on common research projects uh, and getting those results out through our, through our communication channels, as you said, serving as a megaphone for, um, for the things that are coming out um, from our uh, friends in the field and uh, vice versa. They would be serving as uh, megaphones for um, the results from our research projects that utilize corn, soybean meal um, in, in uh, swine diets. So, yeah, that's the important part of it is being able to communicate that. Indeed it is. And that's what we're here for today, telling these stories of agriculture. Bob Hemaseth, before we let you go, folks want to connect with the National Corn Growers Association. Where can they go to do that? Just go to ncga.com and we have all the information that uh, we need to uh, find out more about corn. Fantastic, folks. Check that out, ncga.com. Thanks for tuning in, folks. When we return, we're going to talk with Dr. Chad Hart about what Argentina did with their peso here over the weekend. Stick around for more AOA coming up after this. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. And each month, we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month. And you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. As harvest begins, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to be diligent in taking the proper precautions to ensure treated seed does not enter the domestic or export grain supply. When properly handled, seed treatments are an effective agronomic tool that provides seeds the necessary protection for a strong, healthy start. Completely remove all treated seed left in containers and equipment used to handle harvested grain and dispose of it properly. Always be careful to follow state and federal guidelines for proper handling, storage, and disposal of treated seed. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. 
Well, the big news early Wednesday is impacting the wheat markets, especially following Vladimir Putin's criticism of the ongoing safe passage agreement to ship Ukraine grain and oil seeds. Paris milling futures started the ball rolling with a gap higher opening Wednesday. Following the slow and consistent move downward in the last few months, Putin suggests most of the grain shipped from Ukraine is not, in fact, going to the poorest country, suggesting that just two of the 87 vessel ships so far are headed to the nations most in need. The implication is that Putin might like to revise or even cancel the agreement altogether. This has sent all three U.S. wheat futures markets screaming higher, led by the spec-heavy Chicago wheat market. Now, wheat strength also coming despite the U.S. dollar index again scoring a new high to the highest reading in the past 20 years. Now, meantime, Argentina's fire sale on the peso may be a short-term band-aid on a long-term problem, but it's working to move soybeans thus far. The first day of the offer of 200 pesos for every dollar's worth of soybeans moved an estimated 1 million metric tons, with some observers in China thinking the plan could end up moving 8 to 12 million metric tons. Argentina is the world's largest exporter of soy meal and soy oil as well. Most of its beans are processed before they leave the country, but Chinese buyers are opportunists and they see an opportunity at hand. As such, uh, cash sources on the ground in China reporting that China bought seven cargoes of Argentine soybeans on Tuesday. The corn market, meantime, continues its ascent, rising briefly above the recent high as crop analysts and Unisit are clipping yield potential on corn compared to USDA's August estimate. Traders awaiting the all-important September WASDE report on Monday. It seems that with each private forecast, the national yield for corn keeps creeping lower. The hog market finding strength here so far with triple-digit numbers to the upside while cattle features are mixed, pressured by corn. Crude oil around 83.50 a barrel. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. I appreciate you taking the time to join us here on this Wednesday. Over the weekend, we saw some interesting news come out of Argentina. It's been no surprise if you listen to this program, we have been talking about the value of the U.S. dollar versus international currencies for the past six months. It's a factor that always matters to grain traders. It doesn't often matter to the extent that it does today. We're actually seeing currency fluctuations really throw global grain trading, well, not into turmoil, but it's certainly mixing things up. And Argentina did just that on Sunday. I am certainly no expert in how foreign exchange rates impact commodity flows, but Dr. Chad Hart, professor of economics at Iowa State University, is indeed a man who knows about these things. And he joins us today. Dr. Hart, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. It's my pleasure to be with you. Let's start at the very beginning with Argentina, because I understand that story goes back quite a long ways. What are the conditions on the ground, economically speaking, in Argentina right now, Chad? Well, in Argentina, they're wrestling with a lot of the issues we are here in the U.S., just let's call it supersized compared to what we're seeing here. So they're definitely dealing with inflation, worries about recession. But probably one of the biggest things right now is they're worried about having enough foreign currency in the country to maintain their international debt. Argentina has taken on a lot of debt over the past few years to try to get their economy back up and running. They've accepted a lot of that funding from 
places like the International Monetary Fund. But in doing that, they also agreed to certain conditions. And one of the biggest ones that's coming up on them is that they need to have enough dollars on hand to pay down on some of that debt. That's why they've made this move with the currency um, you know, manipulation, if you will, as they've done right now, to get dollars flowing back in to their central bank. And you said currency manipulation. And Chad, looking at the details of what they did, it's hard to call it really anything else. Can you talk through what did Argentina announce with regard to soy exports on Sunday? Certainly. What they basically did was they set up a a separate um, exchange rate, if you will, for the Argentine peso versus the dollar if it comes from the sale of soybeans or soybean products to the rest of the world. The exchange rate currently there on the ground in Argentina is about 139 pesos to the dollar. Well, they've agreed for soybean sales, we'll make that 200 pesos per dollar. So they're giving basically soybean producers in the country or soybean sellers in the country extra pesos for the dollars to get them incentivized to make more sales internationally and trade in those dollars that they receive for more pesos to spend domestically. Gotcha. Then I would assume that Argentina has a tax regime in place to grab some of those U.S. dollars and help build up their foreign reserves. Is that the government's policy or plan at least? Well, it's a little bit of both. So you can think about this as, you know, what they've done here with the currency is make Argentine soybeans more attractive to the rest of the world. But as you mentioned, the idea is they also put on an export tax. And that's something that they've had permanently for quite some time. So they've always been pulling in those dollars that way. But they're looking to enhance the amount of product moving up through those export tax channels, hence the currency move here. Copy that. Now, Chad, let's talk about what this means on the ground. If I'm an Argentinian soy exporter, is a 60% bump in the in the number of pesos I get per dollar of soy exported enough to get me to move more product? Uh, at least what we're hearing anecdotally is, yeah, it definitely is. I mean, the idea is you're talking about a, a fairly sizable bump in the number of pesos you're getting there. It's also coming at a time when like I say, Argentina is dealing with higher inflation. So if you're going to give me some extra money there, that helps me offset some of those inflationary pressures. So yeah, this definitely should be a boost to the soybean industry in Argentina. Now, what does this mean longer term? I understand this particular manipulation is really only in place for the month of September. Chad, so what happens come October 1st to Argentinian soy and soy products? Basically, we fall back to where they were out, you know, a week ago. So the idea is that this is a temporary move. This is something that the government cannot sustain long term. This was set up, like I say, to get dollars in right now in head of that debt payment that they need to make basically at the end of this month. And so it's a very temporary short term fix to create a few more dollars in the central bank to get them through at least this next month. All right, Chad. Now, if they're going to be selling these beans into the global market at the quantities they'd like to sell them here by the end of the month, there's not a lot of buyers who can take that kind of delivery or make those purchases. It's it's mainly China. Are they going to step in in a big way to Argentina? That's what we're watching here is that it sounds like China may make some moves there. If you think about it, too, with Argentina, they tend to export not the beans themselves, but they tend to export more bean meal, bean oil. It has to do with their tax structure again. But the idea is they tend to process those beans. Well, China usually buys beans as a whole and likes to crush them on their own. But with crush margins being so weak in China right now, it does make it attractive for those Chinese purchasers to look at the the bean and oil complex there and possibly pull in some from Argentina here over the short term again within this next month. All right, Chad, let's look out to the tail end of 2022 into 23. That Chinese economy seems like it's got a lot of issues of concern. How do you feel they're going to be on their export pays for U.S. beans once we get through this winter? Well, that's the deal. We have seen them being let's call it selectively aggressive in purchasing for the 2022-23 crop. 
They've made some advanced purchases already. We've seen them within the last week make a big purchase here out of the U.S. looking at new crop. Um, but we don't see necessarily the volumes uh, that we had, say, pre-COVID especially here. And so I think that's going to be the challenge. They're still going to be our biggest customer. They're just not likely going to be as big as they once were. Okay. And I think that slowdown fear I'm hearing from a lot of folks, as, as you think, Chad, about the issues that are facing growers here in 2022, one of the ones we thought we had a handle on early in the year, and now it's back, seems to be fertilizer. What are your expectations here in this fertilizer industry, I, I guess, globally, as you look out to the end of 2022 and, and folks needing to get what they need for their fields for fall field prep? Yep. And so I, I think you hit you hit the nail on the head here when you're saying looking internationally here. I think when we're looking domestically, you know, our natural gas prices are fairly high, but they look like they're sort of manageable. Soybean or fertilizer futures have been holding, you know, somewhat steady at a at a relatively high level, but still not the extremes we saw earlier this spring. I think the challenges are in really the international market when it comes to especially Europe in European natural gas because that could drive um, a lot of shortages in, in global fertilizer production and that could drive those international prices higher which will start to pull U.S. prices higher. So I do worry that as we get into especially the winter season here we could see those fertilizer prices start to reach back up towards those record highs we saw just earlier this year. Chad, that was a great point. And now it's got me thinking about the global balance sheet for crops here coming in 2023 with fertilizer prices being where they are. Do you think we're going to see continued growth of acreage in South America, particularly for that second crop safrina corn this next year? Or is it too early to tell? I think it's a little too early to tell. I'll put it this way, though. It depends upon how well um, Brazil especially has been able to sort of pull in fertilizer surprise here over the past six, eight months. The idea is that they have been growing that safina crop acreage up. They look to continue to expand it in the future, but one of their biggest limitations will be the amount of fertilizer they'll have available. All right. That is going to be an issue with a long tail, I think, for these commodity markets to break through. Another issue, Chad, we started the segment talking about it. I want to end the segment discussing the value of the U.S. dollar. We're kicking around here up near 20-year highs. That's a headwind for commodities. What do you anticipate it taking to bring that back down to a more manageable level? Well, I think it's going to be a while just because I think when we're looking at what's driving the dollar higher right now, you're looking at the international uncertainty around energy. You're looking at basically not just, you know, worries about a U.S. recession, but truly a global recession as we're looking there. And the dollar is that safe haven currency that everybody's sort of parking their, their funds in right now to try to weather the storm. And so I think we will remain higher here. The question for me longer term, though, is is figuring out where are we selectively a little better when it comes to it. We look at the index because it gives us a broad stroke about what the dollar is doing against a, a broad array of currencies. But when it comes to our ag markets, what really matters is what's that one-to-one -one exchange rate with our major customers out there and how are we competing against our major competitors. And so when I'm looking here, I'm sending the stare more at what are we doing against the yen? What are we doing against the one? in South Korea? What are we doing against the yuan in China or, you know, the pesos down in our, you know, in South America? That's to me is where, you know, we sort of have to concentrate now. The dollar is going to be strong overall. That index is going to be high. But how are we seeing the relative changes one-on-one -on -one against other currencies? All right, there is going to be plenty to discuss, plenty of big macro factors moving our markets here in the world of commodities as we get through 2022. Chad Hart, professor of economics at Iowa State University, thanks so much for joining us here and bringing us up to speed on how these big picture issues can impact our bottom line here on the farm. Thank you. And folks, stick with us. We are going to have more AOA coming up in just a second. We are going to talk a little bit about more about what is developing over in Europe. They've got a new prime minister in the UK, and she's looking to stabilize that energy sector. What could it mean long term? We'll talk about all of that when AOA returns here right after this.
Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills. Our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination. Our honesty. Our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise, we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seed has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers, and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Hi, I'm Brent Whitefoot, your Chief Agri-District Manager for Western Nebraska. I'll be at Husker Harvest Days, Lot 430, on September 13th through the 15th, talking with farmers and equipment dealers from all over the region about our customized product solutions designed to fit your operational needs. Our grain storage, handling, and conditioning products are designed to last and help you save time and money every step of the way. Have questions? Give me a call at 308-440-4737 or check us out at agra.chiefind.com. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice
twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm Radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, folks. AOA marches along here on this Wednesday. You know, we just spoke in segment three with Dr. Chad Hart from Iowa State University, and we talked about the impact that global events are having on commodity markets, and they are outsized the impact of these large macro events that oftentimes just have their impact in the equity markets or the bond markets. They're now playing through to the commodity markets, and we're seeing that take place with energy. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. We're seeing that take place with sustainability concerns as well. It's a factor that's moving large markets, it's moving big piles of money, and it's driving a lot of headlines out of the Netherlands. Quick story here, a town in the Netherlands um, has announced, it's the town of Harlem with two A's, have announced they are going to ban advertisements of meat products beginning in 2024 in order to promote sustainability and raise awareness of climate change. They cited a, a number of studies in backing up their decision. This is a town of about 160,000 people, 13 miles west of Amsterdam, a little bit of a, a bedroom community here in the U.S., and uh, they say they are going to practice the same um, advertising ban with holiday flights, uh, fossil fuels, and cars that run on fossil fuels. So we're seeing these sustainability concerns really grow in Europe, and then they kind of spread. And we've been seeing them particularly in the Netherlands all summer long. Earlier this spring, the Netherlands announced some very earth-shattering plans to cut down nitrous anoxide in their country. Uh, they were going to basically pay farmers to quit farming and buy out farm ground, convert it into preserves. And understandably, farmers have protested quite a bit across uh, the Netherlands. And it was announced yesterday that the Dutch ag minister has resigned unexpectedly. Uh, apparently yesterday, he just quit. He came out and told reporters he wasn't the right person for the job following these months of protests. We'll see if this changes any of the Danish government's approaches. Most of their requirements on reducing nitrous oxide weren't necessarily coming from the Netherlands themselves, their internal government. It was a court case. They lost with the European Union. And so they're seeing this outside pressure to bring things up to speed. We're going to continue to hear a lot, I would imagine, about the ag industry over in the Netherlands. But I do want to turn our focus, before we go for the day, back to the energy markets. Because, folks, we've talked about it a lot over the past six months on this program. It is going to be, it being energy prices, energy availability is going to be one of the driving factors for investments over the next five years. We're seeing this market, which typically functions very, very well, and in the background, under immense pressure, both on the physical side, the war in Ukraine, you know, tariffs, upheavals with China, changes in pumping in the Middle East. There are physical, fundamental supply and demand changes, but there are also changes happening in the futures markets and in the place that these energy companies use to lay off their risk. And right now, European energy trading giants are looking at margin calls of 1.5 trillion with a T dollars. That's how much risk is out there in the energy uh, energy industry right now. European Union officials came out last week and they have suggested that this energy crisis, these margin calls that these companies are facing and some of them likely won't be able to meet could be in Finland's case at least a Lehman Brothers moment. The moment when there's no cash left in the system and the money huh, stops moving and the industries lock up. We saw that happen in the short-term bond markets back in 2008 when Lehman Brothers went broke. The concern is we could see that develop in European energy. We heard from Dr. Hart just a minute ago, the upheavals in natural gas price in Europe are driving those fertilizer producers to shut down production, and they're marketing those fertilizer contracts. They're flipping their fertilizer, or excuse me, natural gas supplies and not making any fertilizer. This is going to have an impact. It's going to have another impact also on biofuels policy. 
there was a story I was kind of surprised to see. It was in the New York Times this morning, looking at European Union biofuels policy. One of the biofuels that the EU decided to support at the utility scale was bio waste, effectively wood pellets as a heat source or as an energy source. Initially, when they threw this out there, they're going to make these from trash. They're going to pelletize uh, wood waste. They're going to pelletize stuff that, uh, that was going to end up in landfills and then burn it to generate electricity. Well, what happened was the EU started subsidizing this wood pellet industry, and as such, it has encouraged wood pellet production outside the European Union, notably in Eastern Europe. The New York Times specifically slights Poland, Romania, Bulgaria as some of the leading sources of this wood to be used in these pellets, and a lot of it is coming from protected forests. The incentives that the EU have created are actually causing economic and environmental devastation farther east in Europe. We talk a lot about biofuels policy on this program, folks, because biofuels policy is going to matter. We're going to see governments push to find new ways to have renewable sources of, of both utility-style power and liquid fuels. And I think agriculture is uniquely well-positioned to capitalize on those pushes as they come. But it's also vital that we get it right, because if we're doing these things for the environment, it's probably going to be best if they do actually benefit the environment, which does not seem to be the case with this EU forest pellet uh, subsidy uh, program they were running over there. Before we go, we do have a little bit of other international news. This one comes out of Australia. Big, big move in the fight to, uh, to battle foot and mouth disease. Australia has banned imports of all processed meat products for personal use from any country that reports foot and mouth disease. This is an unprecedented step for the government of Australia. They have never tried to regulate the sort of highly processed meat products that are coming in now. Uh, pate, pork crackling, meat floss, they said. The reason Australia is doing this is because they found a sample of foot and mouth disease on a piece of meat floss that was imported from China. And even though it didn't have any live virus on it, it definitely spooked the health uh, officials in that country. And this is their response. If you are coming from a country that has foot and mouth disease, you cannot bring any meat products processed or whole raw, I should say, although those have been banned for some time into Australia. So if you're hopping on a plane to head down under folks, take those beef sticks, take those pork products out of of your backpack. Tomorrow here on AOA, folks, we are going to be having a good conversation. Ellen Wald, uh, professor, author, oil industry analyst, will be joining us to start the show. We'll check in with Ethan Lane of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, and Arlen Suderman will join us. No doubt we'll have more market moves before we get back tomorrow. Arlen will bring us up to speed on what's driving things in the markets. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow here for more AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Hi, this is Jeff Schmidt. I'm your chief agri-district manager for eastern Nebraska. I will be at Husker Harvest Days on lot 430 on September 13th through the 15th. We'll be talking with farmers and equipment dealers from all over the region about our customized product solutions that are designed to fit your operational needs. If you have any questions, give me a call, 308-440-8768, or check out our library of products at agra.chiefind.com. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting.